The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hey, very warm welcome to Squawkbox and what could be a historic Thursday. You've got Jeff Cutmore, Karen Chow, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. The final vote tally continues, revealing two key battlegrounds, state wins for the Democrats, with Joe Biden saying that when the counting finishes, we will be winners. We, the people, will not be silenced. We, the people, will not be bullied. We, the people, will not surrender. But the president's not giving up yet. The Trump campaign demanding a recount in Wisconsin and filing a lawsuit in Georgia as he urges the Supreme Court to intervene in the electoral process. Hope for legislative control dwindles for the Democrats as Republicans maintain control of key Senate seats and look set to retain a majority in the chamber. U.S. futures trade higher after the S&P posts its best post-election gains in modern history, putting Wall Street on track to break a two-week losing streak. And we're just an hour away now from the Bank of England's latest policy statement. No one expecting much movement on interest rates, although we know negative rates are under consideration. But maybe they'll pull the trigger on more QE. At least that's what the analysts are expecting. We'll catch up with Governor Andrew Bailey later on CNBC. Good morning, good evening, whatever time it is, everybody as well. Have you had any sleep? Some of us have. Some have had a little bit. Some of us had a lot. Did you get some sleep? Not much yesterday, but finally some overnight. Good, good, good. Right, okay, let's go for it then. The US election remains on a knife edge with a Democratic candidate, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden, inching what seems to be closer to victory after prevailing in two key Midwestern states. It took ages yesterday to get the results from these. Now, at the moment, Mr. Biden leads with the uh, 253 electoral college votes at the moment, uh, whilst the president is on 214. Now, that is according to NBC News projection. If you go elsewhere, you'll find different tallies at the moment. Of course, there was a very early call on one state, which our channel, as of, has of yet, hasn't called. But uh, the tally leaves the former vice president just short of the 270 votes needed uh, to win uh, the uh, the keys to the White House, Karen. Well, attention now turns to two key battleground states out west where Biden holds a narrow lead over Trump. In Arizona, it remains too early to declare a result, but Biden is ahead in heavily populated Maricopa County. Meanwhile, Nevada is also too close to call. A win for Biden in both of these states would bring him to 270. Elsewhere, Pennsylvania and its 20 electoral college votes are still up for grabs. Biden has cut Trump's lead in the state to just under three percentage points, with mail-in ballots in the state yet to be counted, expected to favour Democrats. Well, talking of sleep, I don't know when Alice Barr gets to sleep, but it's one o'clock in the morning in D.C. at the moment. Alice, I do appreciate you turning out for us. I really do as well. So many questions as well. The route to the White House for both of them, of course, it looks easier for Mr. Biden than Mr. Trump to uh, stay there at the moment as well. But just one uh, almost a strange question for you. Why is Nevada uh, taking their sleep? Why aren't they starting at why are they starting at 9 a.m. again? Why is Clark County not being rushed through at the moment? I don't understand why we're all being made to wait for Nevada. (laughs) 
Why are we being made to wait for Nevada? That, Las Vegas, speaking of sleeping, Las Vegas is the city that never sleeps, you know? They should be staying up all night and working out all, all this. But no, um, I think what you're seeing in, in these key states is they are just trying to urge everyone out here to be patient, um, that we need to, uh, they, they're saying that it's not about how quickly we get the results, it's about getting them right. So there, Nevada is one of the states that everybody is watching very closely right now. Joe Biden leading there, and this is a state that has has trended toward Democrats in the past several elections. Um, so it, it going into this, it had been one of those ones that was projected to be blue. It has been tighter than expected. And that's been the, the story of this entire election. But um, yeah, we, we should, we're very close to hearing the final results um, from Nevada. There's just a small number still to count uh, there. And then next door in Arizona, that actually has turned out to be um, one of the really key states at this point. You know, President Trump has a couple different paths to potentially chisel his way uh, to, to find a path to victory at this point. Um, and Arizona is, is extremely critical to his chances and the Trump campaign, the Trump world believes that they do have a shot there. Um, there is a, a large chunk of votes still to come um, in Arizona, some 600,000. We're expecting actually any minute now, they said after 1 a.m. Eastern, one batch of those um, that that count that's still to go in Arizona should be coming out. And then a second round at 9 a.m. You know, they're going through these things and, and giving us appointed times for when we should expect um, to get these results. They're not sleeping either. Uh, these elections officials, you know, trying to get through all of this. But in Arizona, uh, the very f the first batch that came through um, this evening of this, this set of votes to go there actually did have a good chunk toward President Trump. So if uh, these returns continued in that vein, he would have a chance to win over the total count in Arizona right now. And this is uh, Maricopa County. It's, it's suburban uh, areas around Phoenix. Um, and it's a little bit of an in-between period of time. It's not people who voted super early who that's definitely been trending toward Biden. It's not people who voted day of that's been trending toward President Trump. It's people who voted sort of early, but almost on time. And so it's hard to tell where they're going to land in there. Um, so that's one one state that's being watched very closely, and then Pennsylvania as well. It's just been getting tighter and tighter and tighter as these mail-in ballots are being counted. Um, and certainly President Trump, if he has any chance of pulling this out in the states, it's got to be Arizona, it's got to be Pennsylvania, and then he's looking at all of his legal challenges as well to try to give him another potential pathway to eke something out. Alice, we have a, a second exciting night uh, playing out. I want to ask you what this means for stimulus because the market had an expectation of uh, a blue wave that a, a Biden victory would spell a $2 trillion stimulus package. But now what we're seeing with Republicans uh, showing some might still in the Senate in that chamber, there are question marks, even if it is a Biden victory, where that stimulus could be. Just talk us through some of the ramifications there. Yeah, well, this is the nature of our system of government is that um, even if Joe Biden does win the presidency and the House is, uh, we've projected, NBC News has projected that the Democrats will hold the House, um, the Senate is is so important um, in, in the way that this system of government works. And at this point, it's looking challenging for Democrats to try to win over that chamber, though it's not an, an uh, the question is, it's not out of the question. There are two, sen two Senate seats in Georgia that could go to a runoff. Um, and, and if they do, that could, one of those could potentially uh, 
tilt this to actually determine um, which way the Senate goes and if the Senate could potentially turn to Democrats' hands. But leaving that to the side, if it does remain in Republican hands, um, you're going to have this kind of situation where uh, if the Senate doesn't agree, um, whatever proposal President Trump uh, in this scenario, a a potential uh, President Biden might try to put forward, you know, the House has had plenty of proposals that they've had, you know, for months now that they have passed robust stimulus plans. And this Republican-controlled Senate has been unwilling to sign off on any of those um, by their nature. You know, the Republican uh, motto sort of is, you know, they don't want to spend whenever possible. And they think that that they're getting ahead of themselves and spending more money than may potentially be needed at this point. So you're going to continue to run into a wall there. But interestingly, um, I've heard some, you know, discussion as well that while that's one issue that stimulus might not go through, which Wall Street certainly wants, um, you, you, Wall Street does like the idea that a Republican controlled Senate might block off any uh, sort of large overhaul of, of, of Wall Street itself that could lead to regulations and things that might, uh, that, that those folks don't like. So it's a little bit of a balance of what, how you're seeing the markets react um, to this news right now. Excellent work, Alice. Thank you very much indeed for joining us as well. We, we, Karen and I both know your shift as well. It's a very tricky one. You're supposed to sleep during the day, right. but no one ever does at times like this because your adrenaline is so high. So we do appreciate it. Alice Barr, thank you very much indeed for that. <laughs> Particularly when there's lots of breaking news happening. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, well, you do the overnights, so you can sleep during the day. It's like, it right. never happens like that. You just end up basically not sleeping uh, for 48 hours. Not during this type of election, right? <laughs> uh, right, let's have a look at these markets. Alice was referring to what Wall Street wants. What does Wall Street want? As well? Look, I'm going to make a couple of technical points as well about this market market as well. I heard one commentator this morning saying, oh, well, the vols come off aggressively. Is it too soon? Look, if you listen to us beforehand, you'll see the usual pattern. We talked about this aggressively. Before the election, the volatility gets bid up. After the election, it always gets sold down. That is how it's worked. That's how it worked on the first election I worked on in 92 in the UK as well. So we did tell you about this. The other thing is a lot of the positioning wasn't there. People took money off the table. Do you remember the phrase, pay more once you know more or know more once you um, pay a little bit more, I'll get the phrase right, pay more to know more. There you go. And the fact of the matter is people didn't have positioning. They were flattened off. So when they thought they're getting a little bit of clarity on these markets, then they were happy to pay a little bit more. And that's what happened in the Dow yesterday. But the Dow, actually, I think that's quite underwhelming for some of you because some of you would have bought it north of 2,800 yesterday. Some of you would have bought it significantly higher when we were looking six, seven, eight hundred points higher at one point as well. So yes, a very good performance. Yes, a very solid performance. But the real um, fireworks happened elsewhere. That happened on the S&P up 2.2%. It happened on the NASDAQ. The Nasdaq up 3.9%. What's the logic here? Less regulation, I think, was one of the points which Alice was making. And I think that probably is a laissez-faire presidency if, and again, if, let's not be premature about this. We do not know who's going to be the next president of the United States yet. We have our assumptions based on what the Electoral College votes are so far. So we have to be very careful of not being premature. No one has been declared victory yet. And as Alice was pointing out, a lot of legal challenges coming from the Republican camp. Quick look at the US futures as well uh, for us now. So very important for these European markets, of course, which did have a, a good rally yesterday. But we are being called up around about 189 points on the Dow. Uh, 28 points higher is the implied open for the S&P. I know it doesn't look as volatile as last time around when Trump was elected back in 2016. But that said, we do have the worst case scenario for markets that were sort of effectively concerned about a contested election. We've got the uncertainty still. Lawsuits have been filed from the Trump campaign. Yet markets have bounced, which I think is quite fascinating because it takes us to one of the other trades we've seen in the past, gridlock. Gridlock is good for markets. We're just talking about whether there could be split chambers. And if you think about the ramifications of that, 
In the past, markets have quite liked the fact there's not been, not been real policy making. It's not good for stimulus, taking, though. Well, that, that's the difference this time round, right? You mm. think about you do actually need to see some policy action in the middle of a pandemic. So markets might be reacting one way in the way they've reacted in the past. But is that uh, the, the reaction we're going to see in the next uh, couple of days as we continue to, to watch what plays out in the United States? So I think it's really interesting, the trade we've seen already. Uh, but uh, just pushing on to the Asian markets, picking up from what you saw in the United States, also a strong session playing out, Hong Kong bouncing two. 6%, but the range is slightly less on the ASX in Australia that had a strong run after we saw another interest rate cut. Uh, the Chinese market says uh, all eyes are on the, what foreign policy could look like if it's a, a Trump or a Biden victory and what that means for China, where we've seen China and Washington, uh, Beijing and Washington being at loggerheads over trade. The uh, Shanghai market uh, in the green and you've got uh, Japanese stocks bouncing 1.7%. Just to Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career have lots of careers try loads of different things talk to people and put your ambition out there I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity what does living ambitiously mean to you hear it from our CNBC anchors reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com Around other regions. We've been picking our channels as well, and I've spent a lot of time watching MSNBC as well as CNBC. I was on the ballet run last nice. night, and I had uh, flitching, switching between the channels as I was sitting in the car in the car park. The ballet run last night, and it was a great thing this morning on MSNBC where it had a split screen of Trump supporters in Arizona. I think it was saying, "Count every vote, count every vote," and then there were Trump supporters in, uh, I think it was Georgia or Pennsylvania, saying, "Stop the vote, stop the vote." So it's kind of like, nice. "What do you want, guys? You know, you want every vote here, but you don't want every vote there." It's very because interesting. in Arizona, it's thought those last-minute votes could be Trump Absolutely. votes because they were Everywhere. drop-off votes. And Wisconsin again, as we're saying. So, meanwhile, President Trump has attacked the election process uh, as his campaign vowed to dispute the results in several key states. Trump aired his complaints on Twitter, where he said the integrity of the vote had been damaged. He also claimed victory in Pennsylvania and Georgia and North Carolina, uh, despite no official source calling the race for him. I don't think you can claim them if they haven't been called officially as well. But let's speak to Mike Madrid, uh, who is the co-founder of the Lincoln Project, a political action committee formed by several Republicans in opposition to President Trump. He is also the former director of the California Republican Party. Mike, it's an absolute privilege seeing you today. Thank you very much indeed. You, like the rest of us, uh, are just absolutely fascinated by this, but you're a participant. In it. So just, just call it how you see it at the moment. How do you see the election? Do you think Mr. Biden is very close to clinching victory? Yeah, I think we'll probably know and have the answer within a matter of hours, actually. I think we're probably going to see such a strong mathematical number from Pennsylvania, if not an actual count. Some of the early suggestions where it would take as long as Friday, our understanding is that count has been expedited. We may know within the next five or six hours. I also believe Georgia will be known within the next five or six hours. A strong showing in either of those from Mr. Biden. We expect him to do very well in both. We'll put uh, the race out of, out of uh, play for Donald Trump, and the country will be ready to move on. Can I ask you about the lawsuits? President Trump's campaign announcing those lawsuits on Wednesday in the swing states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, but also demanding a recount in Wisconsin. And a lot of Americans had their head in their hands saying, what does this say about democracy in this country? What do you make of the ramifications of those challenges? I think what's happened here is we're going to see Americans recapture the mantle 
of leading of a leading democracy in the world again after a four-year dark hiatus in that regard. I think that the president is making a fool of himself by suggesting that somehow there's some sort of nefarious activity or something illegal. He's simply losing the race, and he probably should be a little bit more self-reflective to understand why he's gotten himself into this position rather than doing what he normally does, which is seeking blame. So look, I'm very confident that neither of these lawsuits, and there will probably be many more, have any merit. It's designed to slow the process down. It's designed to undermine confidence in our electoral system. And as we're seeing in Arizona and in some parts of Pennsylvania tonight, it's also designed to separate and to create some space for violent activity and for unnecessary, unruly behavior. Mike, you made a very interesting point there that the president is losing the race. But what is extraordinary to many people looking on as interested observers is he's only just losing the race. And, of course, the projections and the pollsters, they got it completely wrong again. Let's be honest about it. They had pretty much double-digit gains in many cases for Mr. Biden. So he's only just losing it. And yet he's earned more votes than any sitting president ever, I believe. 68 million as last I saw. I know Mr. Biden's got 71 million in the popular vote so far as well. So many Americans still think uh, that the president is doing a great job. What do you think of that, given all the concern about how split America is, and you mentioned you know, how concerned about extremism as well. That's a really great point, and you're absolutely correct. There's going to need to be a lot of not only self-reflection, but self-realignment uh, as it relates to the polling industry. Something was very wrong. Uh, what is interesting about this is it was not just all of the public polls, and there were a lot of them suggesting that there was a widespread between uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. But there was also uh, a lot of erroneous material on both sides of the partisan aisle. Republicans, the Republican committees that represented the Senate and the House, all had the data wrong. They were public about it. They were sharing it. So there was something methodological that is not working with gauging public opinion accurately. And part of that public opinion, again, to your point, quite accurately, is there are far too Americans that are supporting this rising nationalism, this rising populism that is closely identified with white grievance politics, as opposed to having a standard center-right party, which has served this country very well since at least the post-World War II era. We enter a very, very precarious and very fragile time as a democracy. We have been counseling people as a Lincoln Project that the healthy uh, the health of, the, of our American democracy is not in trouble if Donald Trump is reelected. It has been in trouble for some time because we elected him in the first place. So there's a lot of work to be done. America has to take a very close, very strong, very honest uh, look at itself to understand why this problem exists and in many ways is perhaps growing and growing more intense if we're going to be the stable democracy that we have been for the past 250 years. Mike, I want to ask you about fiscal stimulus. Uh, still in the middle of a pandemic, and as you see, economic growth still hit versus same time a year ago. The market has been closely looking at an agreement between both sides of the aisle on a next package to help out the country. Yet uh, there, there's doubt at this point. If the Republicans hold the, the Senate, there could be more disagreement if Biden now claims victory, though you may not get that stimulus forthcoming as quickly as the market wants it. Uh, I mean, clearly we're still waiting out for the result, but what do you think the prospects are for stimulus at this point? I actually think that they are quite good. It also reminds me of when 
Joe Biden was vice president under, under Barack Obama and recognized that it's very bad politics to have the engines of capitalism melt down. Stimulus is something that is required not just for the financial markets, of course, but also for the average everyday citizen that needs to make rent, to buy groceries, and to support day-to-day -day living in the midst of the largest global pandemic in the last century. So I am very optimistic that if a package is put forward by the Democrats, that the votes will be there, especially from pressure from the capital markets on the Republicans to get something done. It may not be as ambitious as the vice president and uh, perhaps president, new president will be asking for, but I do think it will get done. And maybe the pressure of that might actually move Donald Trump to move with the Congress in this lame duck session to actually provide some sort of relief for the average American. Mike, we very much appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Mike Madrid, the co-founder of the Lincoln Project, former director, California Republican Party. Later on, our colleagues on Street Signs will be speaking with Republican strategist Brian Lanza. That is coming up at 10.45 CET as we continue to pour over the election results so far as we waited out for more confirmation on those swing states. ING has posted a 37% fall in third quarter pre-tax profits. Uh, this amid subdued lending growth. The CFO, though, told CNBC he was optimistic about the impact of future lockdowns. The second lockdown that we already see happening in a number of our major markets will not be like the first. You know, the first one was a bit of an unknown of what would happen. I think we are, shall we say, more knowing what the drill will be. Uh, the government support are still in place, supporting a number of our sectors within Europe and across uh, the world. And so we are cautiously optimistic that the second lockdown will not be as bad from an economic perspective as the first. Oh, my goodness me. What a busy earnings day. We've got Bank of England. We've got the Fed. We've got uh, so much going on, of course. A small matter of the U.S. election as well. Uh, Commerce Bank is one of the dogs of the sector. Let's be honest about it. The uh, forward-looking pr uh, price to book is 0.196, one of the lowest in the sector. The shares down 23% so far this year. Uh, the numbers themselves, though, well, I mean, the CT1 ratio looks very healthy, actually. Improved to a strong 13.5% at the end of September 2020. And this is a very key point, Karen, that we've talked about many times and the fact is um, that the banks aren't the center of the epicenter of the problem this time around like they were 10 years ago. The bank, bank now expects at least 13% though common equity tier one ratio for the end of the year. But what about the numbers as well? Okay, they expect largely stable customer revenues for private and small uh, business customers in 2020. Um, here we go. Let's have a look. Um, some more. Operating profit, 168 million euros. Uh, third quarter 2019 was 449 million due to the risk result. Bank continues its cost management and targets a cost base, including its investments, slightly below the level of 2019 as well. I'm just trying to see if there's anything of in oh, this is interesting. Non-performing loans. We, you and I have spent a lot of time looking at Spanish banks and all banks over the last 10 years. Risk result at minus 272 million euros uh, includes impact of 181 million from coronavirus effects and low NPE uh, ratio of 0.9 percent reflects ongoing good quality of loan books. So I think the point is here is a bank that's struggling. Here is a bank that is in real trouble, but they have a strong capital position. And actually, the non-forming loan is not too bad. Now, Unicredit is not seen as one of the strugglers. Yeah, you know, funny enough, this comes on the back of what we're talking about, the Commerce Bank, but the two banks at one point were considering merger options. But uh, just getting into the numbers, something that jumps out straight away on the third quarter, the trading income, it's huge. It is up 27.7%, 455 million.
billion euros is what we're witnessing. And uh, for the year, that is a bounce of 10.2%. So the same feature we've seen in other banks. So you've seen pretty volatile markets that has been very positive for the trading side. In terms of the net profit for at least second biggest bank, it's in the three months to the end of September. That was 680 million euros. Uh, that compares with an average forecast of a much lower number of 334 million euros, uh, according to consensus. So it is a beat on that uh, line. The revenue is up 4.4 percent. And uh, again, down to that trading income that I mentioned before. Some of the other metrics uh, that you may want to look at, the uh, NPE coverage at the end of September, 61.3 percent versus 62.7 percent at the end of June. The um, target of the underlying net profit of 3 to 3.5 billion euros in 2021 has been confirmed. I think that's quite key because a number of companies have been struggling to provide guidance at this point, given some of the uncertainty we've seen with further lockdowns. Excellent. Right. Negative interest rates. The banks hate that, don't they? Well, these will be back in focus when the Bank of England delivers its latest decision at 8 Central European time. The central bank will also publish fresh quarterly growth forecasts. Good luck with those. Uh, As lockdown restrictions come back into effect across England as well. Got in the car this morning, Jeffrey. Minus one. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But you're all right. You're keeping warm. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely fine, Steve. In fact, I was hoping for a comfortable afternoon in the studio uh, today, but of course, uh, the Bank of England uh, decided last minute that they were going to roll forward the announcement uh, on rates. Uh, we were expecting it uh, midday UK time. They've now decided to bring everything forward, so we're going to get a 7 a.m. announcement on the key policy rate. Um, nobody expecting any change in the key policy rate. You mentioned negative interest rates. They are under consideration. We know that. The bank has sent out a survey to financial institutions to ask them about how they would operate in a negative interest rate environment. That is going to take a little time to run its course. So most of the uh, economists who look at the bank are talking about a QE announcement today, just an increase in bond purchasing, potentially from 60 to 120 billion uh, uh, pound sterling. So it's a very wide range in terms of the forecasts. And I think that reflects what you were saying, the challenge of predicting anything this year. And of course, we're standing here as the UK has now gone into a second lockdown. And that announcement may have come a little too late for the bank to factor it too heavily into its economic forecast. But we will wait and we will watch the item club, the EY item club themselves, thinking we will get a 5% cut in GDP uh, quarter on quarter into the fourth quarter as a result of this second lockdown. So there is more pain to come for the UK economy. You will have seen uh, overnight a number of uh, major British businesses with further job losses announcements. These are all factors that the bank has to consider here as it looks at the transmission mechanism, which increasingly some are suggesting isn't delivering enough credit to the, re- to the real economy. So it'll be interesting to hear what we get from the bank. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.